This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by criminal justice reporter Emily Eaton. She joins the show today to talk about a new investigative report on domestic violence. Welcome back to the show, Emily. It's good to have you. Thank you for having me. You were on the show a couple weeks back about your trip to the crime lab. Yes. I had no idea that you were working on such a huge report at the time. Did that have any correlation to the domestic violence stuff that you were, was it part of your research or was it just coincidence? It was just coincidence. This is actually sort of something that has been going on in the background for a couple years now, off and on. How many years? Well, it started actually in 2018 when my colleague, Melissa Fletcher Stolci, who has since retired, started looking into domestic violence in Bear County. This was the very end of 2018. We were noticing that there seemed to be a big uptick in family violence deaths, but particularly in intimate partner deaths. And so she began looking into this and sort of planned to write just a, you know, a run of the mill article about this. And the more and more digging she did, she realized that it was just a massive problem. And so our editors basically said, you know what, take all the time you need and let's dig into this. And I joined forces with Melissa in the beginning of 2019. And we began looking into all the different facets of domestic violence and spent, you know, we, we had other things we were doing. Um, we were working on other articles, but spent the most part of a year working on it. And then of course the pandemic hit in 2020 and that sort of diverted our attention for a little while, but it's been something that we both have been looking into off and on and both have been very passionate about for like essentially two and a half years. And I think it's, I mean, I, it's been reported that during the pandemic, while people were inside more domestic violence cases must have shot up completely. So you had this, we'll call it a baseline level of data. And then to see how the, the pandemic affected it must have changed the reporting or how did the pandemic kind of update everything in terms of the story? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, in some ways, the investigation was very similar to its original form. And then in some ways, things, the pandemic drastically changed it. I mean, I think sort of like what you're saying, the pandemic made the problem of domestic violence and particularly intimate partner violence just so much worse. And so while all of the things we had looked into before remained true, things about how the system was overburdened and how there, the system was sort of failing victims in some ways that just, it got amplified during the pandemic. And so you did see cases of fatalities increasing and you did see cases of, 
of backlogs in the courts increasing. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, in some ways the investigation is very similar, but we did make sure to update it with information from 2020 to show that the problem has only gotten worse. This is a huge report. Uh, there's, I have five parts and we're talking before it's released uh, to the public. Can, can you tell me how it's broken down? Yes. So the first story is basically the big overview story of how domestic violence is handled in Bear County, how people, how victims walk through the system. And, you know, it's, it's a massive system. It's everything from the police to the prosecutors and the courts and the judges, but also there's advocates and social services and nonprofits that all are supposed to work together to help victims of domestic violence. And unfortunately, that hasn't always been the case in Bear County. And that's what the first part of the investigation focuses on about how there are these breakdowns throughout the system that allow victims to basically fall through the cracks and not get the services that they need and allow abusers or suspects to continue offending. Um, basically, they, there is no accountability for them or there is very little. So that's the first part of this story. And the second part really focuses, like, owns in on the criminal justice system, which is so important in the overall picture, because it's often where justice is served. It's where there is some sense of accountability for abusers. And that story focuses on data that I collected and reviewed from the state about convictions and dismissals for family violence assaults. And the reporting that I did and the data analysis that I did basically found that Bear County has the highest dismissal rate and the lowest conviction rate for domestic violence assaults um, of the five most populous counties in Texas, um, which I think is, is really concerning for some people. You know, I, the best practices in trying to address domestic violence is in making sure that, of course, victims are supported, but also that abusers recognize there are repercussions for their actions. And if there's such a low conviction rate and such a high dismissal rate, that's really, really concerning. So those are the sort of the two main stories. And then aside from that, we have some very small stories about the local efforts to address domestic violence, the our sort of efforts to collect accurate numbers on fatalities and things like that. You mentioned uh, victims kind of falling through the cracks or, or sometimes even just losing faith in the system. And I'm reading through the articles here and you start off on with Maricela Cadena. And it's like this harrowing tale. Uh, how did you go about finding people to interview for this? And what was that process like? Wow, that's a tricky question. Um, early on, we recognized there was very little data on domestic violence in Bear County. And that the data that did exist was really, really unreliable or had huge discrepancies in it. And so we decided to basically create our own database. And I spent probably the most part of 2019 
going through data from nonprofit groups, the police department, the sheriff's office, the state, the feds, trying to collect the most accurate data and basically what collecting data name by name, just any, any name that I could find in news reports and police reports in homicide logs, I would write it down and create my own database. And as I was doing that, each, I looked up each case that I would classify it as family violence or intimate partner violence. And I began to stumble upon cases that I recognized would be good to look into to see what had happened before this person had died to see if they had had any interactions with the criminal justice system and if they had gotten the support they needed and if their um, significant other or the, the person accused in their murder or their death had uh, faced repercussions before. And so that's how I stumbled upon a lot of the cases that we cite in this in this project. But aside from that, you know, I had a really intense focus on domestic violence starting in 2019. So anytime there would be a big domestic violence fatality, I would read about it. I would often report about it. And Marcella Cadena was one of those when she died in 2020 and early 2020, there was a big press conference about it. And I remember it very vividly. And I looked into the case at the time and wrote um, a story about it for the Express News. And then later, when I revisited this project, I decided to dig into it more and really focus on it, reach out to her family and and try to determine exactly what happened in her case. So that's, that's the long answer is that it, some of it came about very naturally and some of it came about because we were painstakingly looking over the data. And speaking of the data, I just I do want to shout out Ryan uh, Serpico because he has created visualizations for this story. Uh, I also wanted to ask a lot of the data on here. How much did SAPD and and the um, and the DA's office uh, provide? How much information did they provide you? They were great in terms of walking me through data and answering all of the questions I had. And in and providing any data I asked for, but unfortunately, there's flaws in that data, which is something that they openly admit. In 2019, the Collaborative Commission on Des- Domestic Violence was formed, and they came out with a report, and they basically all said the data is just not what it needs to be. And so often when I would look at that data, like the police department would give me a log of all their homicides. And I would look through and I would look at all the ones they had classified as domestic violence. But then I would look at other cases too. And I would say, wait, this is a case of domestic violence. Wait, this is a case of domestic violence. For example, one of the people that we focus on in the story, um, her name is Erin Castro. Um, She was not classified as domestic violence fatality in the San Antonio Police Department's homicide data they may have classified it elsewhere as family violence, but at least in that basic log they keep of all, you know, 30 to, well, typically like 120 deaths that happen anywhere, I guess 100 to 120 deaths that happen in a year. She was not classified as a family violence fatality. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's how we, we collected that data. And so what are other uh, cities doing to combat 
domestic violence or to, to address the issue? That's a really good question. Um, there are a handful of what are considered best practices in addressing domestic violence that are done throughout the country, but there's also a handful of cities here in Texas that are doing those same things. And our investigation found that while other cities were experimenting and fine tuning these approaches, we weren't necessarily doing that here in San Antonio. Our, our local officials weren't trying these innovative approaches. For example, one, one type of one way to address domestic violence that is often cited by experts is what's called a high risk team. And it's basically a bunch of officials from different industries, the police, the prosecutors, the judges, the, um, the nonprofit advocates that come together to identify high risk cases, cases where they think that the woman or cause it's often the woman, um, or the victim is in serious harm's way that there are indications that she could die. For example, when a woman is strangled, that's an indicator that, she, uh, that something like seven, it's seven times more likely that she will die as a result of domestic violence. And so when there's things like that, that happen, then a, a high risk team can come in and they can say, look, we have this case. Police can say, Oh my gosh, we had this woman come to us and we really think that this is a serious case. Let's all take a look at it and let's all find out if we have interactions with this person and with her abuser and see how we can help them. Like, is there a way we can find her housing? Is there a way that we can make sure that the conditions of bond on the suspect are really strict? Can we make sure there's GPS monitoring? Can we make sure that, you know, she has access to childcare? It can be really all encompassing. Can we make sure that the police are doing regular patrols by her home or by her workplace? And this coordinated approach is really the best way to combat domestic violence because it is something that's so complicated. You need all these different stakeholders involved. And unfortunately, in Bear County, we didn't have a team like that until 2020, um, after fatalities really started to increase here. And the Collaborative Commission on Domestic Violence began to push for a team like that. Um, another really innovative approach or another best practice is what's called a fatality review board where a group of stakeholders similar to the high risk team get together and they look at deaths and they determine what could have been done to help that person. What, what went wrong? If there was anything the officials could have done to help her beforehand. And while we've had a fatality review board for years, um, it's never issued reports to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, as is required every two years. And um, when it did meet, people involved told us that some of the big stakeholders failed to attend the meetings or would not provide pertinent information to the group. So they really couldn't do the work that they needed to do. So those are just two examples of ways that San Antonio sort of fell behind the times and didn't try these innovative approaches that could have potentially helped address the domestic violence problem here. 
One of the things from this whole piece that really sticks out and it makes, and this is more a question to you, Emily, and the, the person, a lot of these families shared very like personal photos, some pretty graphic. What was that like for you and your mental health and how do you kind of like step away from it at the end of the day? It was by far one of the hardest things I've had to deal with as a reporter. I've, I've dealt with other very tricky stories, but I think what was difficult about this is that it lasted for so long and I was so embedded in this. And so was Melissa and our editors that it was, it was hard sometimes. Like I remember when I was going through that database and I was writing down all those names, I would look up every single case and read every single news article. And I was just, you know, when you read one basic news article, that's five paragraphs, it's like, okay, this is awful. This is really sad. But when you begin to do that 50 times, it just begins to take a toll on you. And you begin to think, oh my God, like this is such a huge problem in our community. And there's so many people that this is affecting. And then to really get to know some of these families and get to know some of these victims through, through, through their families or through court records and police records. And yeah, it was hard. Um, and, and it also was very, it was very weird because we made a point in this project, not only to just talk to victims and their families, but also to talk to abusers. And so at one point I traveled to North Texas and I met a man who was convicted of killing his girlfriend of stabbing her to death, something like, I think it was around 30 to 50 times. And it was by far one of the weirdest conversations I've ever had in my life because I sat down with this man and I, and I talked to him and he walked me through their relationship and this, this really awful, awful murder. And yet he was very personable, very kind, at least to me, um, very polite. And I think that shows why this problem is so difficult to address. It's because, you know, that is a, that is a classic abuser. Um, often these cases fall through the cracks or people fail to recognize that their loved ones are in domestic violence situations because the abuser is personable and, and kind on the outside, or, you know, he can put up a front or she can put up a front. And so it was just, it was just really weird to go and to know all of this ahead of time. I'd done all my research. I knew how abusers act. And then to meet with him and be like, wow, this is someone that I could have seen myself dating. Um, I could have been in that situation. Um, so things like that, it just begins to wear on you. And I remember I, when I was in the heart of this, I was having weird dreams about being in domestic violence situations. I had a dream once about being stabbed. Um, so it was, it was difficult. I, I tried to make a point of stepping away and of doing things that were good for my mental health. Although admittedly, I probably didn't do it enough. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the, the long answer. No, that's, uh, that was, a, that was incredible. Uh, that's exactly what I wanted to know. Like, uh, how do you deal with that? And, and kind of lastly, before I really let you go, um, how do you feel now that this, this piece you've been working on for two years is finally coming out. 
you did mention earlier off air that there would be more coming out throughout the month. You, if you want to talk about that uh, afterwards as well. Yeah. So I am, I'm excited, but I'm also very nervous because so many people have trusted me with their stories and so many elected officials have really helped me through this process and trying to understand why the situation is so bad here. And Obviously, my job is to collect all of the information and put the pertinent information out there and be, um, you know, create this comprehensive factual report. But I do hope that the people that I talk to, and especially the victims and the families that I spoke to, feel like I did their stories justice. So I'm nervous about that, but I am excited for the community to be able to read these stories and, and hopefully it will spur change. You know, obviously that's not my job to determine exactly what that change should be, but I do hope that it at least will allow people to look at this problem and determine what needs to be done moving forward. And then aside from that, sort of like you were saying, we do have some more that's coming out throughout the month. We have a um, my colleague Melissa, who has since retired, went to Tarrant County. Um, early in our reporting, and she watched how officials in Tarrant County address domestic violence, sort of some innovative things that they're doing there. So there will be two stories from her about how Tarrant County addresses domestic violence. And there will also be a series of profiles about women who have been affected by domestic violence. So those are things that you can look at, look for throughout the month. All right, Emily, thank you again so much uh, for sharing all of this. It's always great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me.